every black man has a story. I'm your host, Black Prospector, and today is a very important episode that we're doing because this is actually the first interview that I did with my uncle, Isaiah. Now, my uncle Isaiah is 74 years old, and I I started hitting the record button a little bit late, so uh, forgive me, you missed his age and his name, but other than that, we pretty much got the whole thing on there. Now, before I really get into the backdrop, I just want to say it's kind of a, a, a bittersweet moment. I have been looking forward to airing this interview. This is actually the first one that I did, and yet I started out the series with the interview that I did with my father because I felt that my father really was the one I should start with because actual in actuality this is obviously uh, his story is one of the most important because it is definitely one that most impacts my life. But there's also another reason that this bit is bittersweet and that is because over the last few days, uh, within the last few days, found out that I lost another uncle. Now, that's not the uncle that you hear in this interview. Uh, I come from a very large family, but I did lose another uncle that actually has a bit of a story with this podcast as well. The uncle that I lost happened to be an uncle that actually was relatively young in his mid 60s. And this uncle has played a role in my life and he and I got real close right before I moved from the Midwest, but um, he ended up being the uncle that really put a passion in me into looking into my family history and getting stories. So he did what many people are doing. He traced a particular side of our family, traced the lineage back, uh, and actually was able to go back, I think, almost a couple hundred years, which, as you all know, black folks know, that's almost unheard of and very difficult to do. And so over the years, you know, we talked about it quite often and, you know, he schooled me on it and I was actually hoping to one day take it over. But I have to say the amount of time he spent on that was just amazing and I couldn't do it, especially homeschooling kids as well. But, you know, certainly I know that he would do interviews with family members whenever he would go down south and talk to some of the older family members. And so much of what we're doing here with every black man has a story. He ties into that. That idea of getting the stories that people tell down now before they're gone. And so one regret that I already have with this episode, or I'll say with this show altogether, I regret not getting his story before he suddenly passed away. So I will say, as I tell you every time I get ready to end a show, go and get the stories from the men in your lives. Get the stories from anyone in your life, actually, that you can learn from. But I really want to encourage you to go get the stories of your father and other men in your life. So it's an honor for me to have an opportunity to get the story of my uncle Isaiah. Uncle Isaiah is actually the same age as my father, 74 years old. And Uncle Isaiah, I had to really edit this this interview and I ask that you be patient with with the two of us Uh, I had to do some filler in myself just because of the pauses but he has a unique story because my uncle Isaiah had a stroke you will hear when he had that stroke in his life uh, because it's been quite some time after even having the stroke and he still struggles with his speech but 
of course, I was so glad he did this interview. He didn't really want to. Uh, my mother happened to be down there. She kind of talked him into doing it. And I'm so glad that she did. I'm so glad that he took the time to talk to me. And what was really funny is, you know, I told him, hey, don't worry. We'll just talk for 10 or 15 minutes. It'll be all good. And yet we end up going for about an hour and a half. And I, 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 again, this is the value of those stories. Men want to talk about their lives because quite honestly, we never get to tell our side of the story. Dr. T. Hassan Johnson, I mention him often, please, please go follow Dr. T. Hassan Johnson, the work he's doing on black masculinity. And just today I was listening to a video where he even talked about in marriage and fatherhood. Many fathers are gone out of the home and they just hope that one day they have the opportunity to tell their kids the story. Not the story that mom told them, not the story mom said of, you know, maybe yeah, your daddy left you and he left us and et cetera, et cetera. Because most men don't leave because they just want to abandon their kids. It's always a story behind that. And so, you know, he said many men, they wait for their kids to get older so they can really tell them their story. And sometimes interpersonal relationships, marriages are difficult. And so when a child is young, no one wants to go tell their kid all about their mama because everyone, we're all socialized, no matter what, to be on the side of mom. But he, he says something that I have pointed out for the last couple of years. It is a good day in a man's life when he no longer views his mother as just his mother, but he views her as a woman. And he views her as perhaps his father's wife or his father's girlfriend at one time. That's freeing. That's freeing for him. And you know what? I think that's actually freeing for her as well. Because she does not have to be pretentious. She can be herself. But I digress a bit because I'm glad I had an opportunity to talk to my uncle. Uh, this is going to be part one of our interview. And we end up getting into something you're going to be a little bit probably surprised about. And that is a question I will leave for you before we begin. So in the brief seconds that we have in the, in the, the, the music break before the interview begins, quickly, when did you think sharecropping stopped in the United States of America? You may be surprised that it did not end nearly as early as you thought it ended. Now, without further ado, I want to get into the interview with my Uncle Isaiah. Again, I ask for your patience. Uh, there is a little bit of a delay. I tried to edit the delays out as much as possible, but there is a bit of delay with his responses. But again, the fact that he did this interview uh, and he was willing to talk and the way you start hearing the stories begin to come out and flow from a black man that was raised in the 60s. What was the world like? What did he end up doing before he came up north in the great migration as they call it and also how has his life been impacted by this stroke so sit back and enjoy from yet another black man with a story my uncle isaiah
go ahead. I forgot to push record. All right, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. You said you 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 went at 17 to Michigan. Yeah, and and at 18, there I was until uh, I was uh, 48 when I retired. Wow. So, <laughs> you retired at 48? Yes. Wow. How many men did you know that could retire so early at that age? Not many, but it was just a few. It was a few that went in at 18 and could retire. But uh, I retired at 18, but uh, I'm making a mistake. I retired at 48. Mm -hmm. But uh, I went in at 18, and uh, there I've spent the, the biggest portion of my life there at Chrysler. Looking back, are you are you glad you went there and stayed for so long of your life? Or looking back, do you wish that you might have done something else? or? you know, maybe gone into something else. How do you look back, you know, at that place spending 30 years there? Well, it don't, it, it didn't seem to be 30 years. Uh, but uh, I don't, uh, I was, people was after me about quitting and going to school, but I told them, uh, that I wasn't interested, and uh, and I just stayed there, and uh, and re when I re reached, uh, well, I had a stroke when I was 47, but I had enough time in to never go back, because I had the stroke in uh, I think June of of. Uh, of 94 so i never did go back to work but i had enough time with the overtime i was in all that that i didn't have to go back so now could you have gone back to work after the stroke if you wanted to yeah but uh i had already put in for my retirement mm. beforehand but i was planning on they coming down in Alabama and uh, maybe working a little bit more, but that I never did get to do. Mm, mm. So how was it working at the plant back then? I mean, I know we talk about the great migration and it sounds like you were part of that migration of coming up from Alabama up to the plants in the north. Uh, how were you received going into the plant at such an early age? Well, I re uh, back then uh, they needed workers. Uh, you could get a job anywhere up there at the time mm -hmm. because uh, and uh, it wasn't a problem at all. Wow. Well, well, certainly I know why you drive Chrysler's all the time. So <laughs> what Chrysler's do you have right now? <laughs> I'm sure you have one, right? Well, the, 
the 2015 uh, Chrysler. That's in my name, so I, I have to claim it. <laughs> and uh, the uh, the 2004 uh, Intrepid. Wow. And is the uh, 2015? Is that the uh, Chrysler 300? Yes. All right. All right. So, what was the first Chrysler that you owned? If I make no mistake, it was a a Dodge. Uh, I think it was called a five five hundred mm. convertible. <laughs> oh, what color? White. Oh, <laughs> all over. Uh, what engine was in it? Three eighty three. <laughs> all right now here's the key question i'm sure you were racing and and now we know the statute of limitations is over so you won't get in trouble for saying this i'm sure you had some races in that car what's the one race you remember in that car i remember in the the uh the three, uh, the the Chrysler, I mean the Dodge. Uh, I didn't. I don't remember racing in that car. What? I guess it was a big white convertible. You weren't trying to race in that, huh? Yeah. <laughs> now, I will say the first car I remember you owning, if I remember uh -huh. correctly, it was that white 340 Duster. Do I remember that right? Uh, that was the second one. <laughs> I had previously owned a uh, uh, 69 340 uh, Dark, mm. but I owned it, owned it for uh, probably six or eight months. I can't remember that, but mm. I got rid of it and uh, bought a Chrysler Imperial, and I owned that, and then I bought it. I traded that in and bought the uh, Chrysler, I mean the uh, Dodge Dart, which was a, not the Dart, but the, uh, the Plymouth uh, uh, Duster. Mm, 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 that's right, that's right. Now, what year was the Duster? I think it was a 70. 70? All right, all right. Wow. So. Of all the Chryslers that you've owned, which one was your favorite? I would say the the Shelby, the Dodge Chevy. What? Really? Yes. Because Why? that was that was a uh, two point two. Uh, with a uh, four speed and uh, it was probably the fastest mm. and it only was a 2.2. <laughs> you know, I actually, I mean, I, I do remember that car because that was your red one, right? Yes. I, I remember the car for another obvious reason, but the other reason I remember it is because I, I did go to automotive school for a hot second. And I mean, like, I think a year. And 
that was the engine that we worked on. We had to learn how to work on an engine class was that little 2.2. And I know yours had the 2.2 turbo. And yeah. I later would own, I, I picked it up for like, I think I bought that car for a hundred dollars. It was all rusted out, but it was a 2.2 turbo, but it was the Plymouth laser, same body style like yours. And the reason why I got it was because I remembered yours. And so, but I never drove one. And when I drove it, I was amazed at how quick that little car was. And it was nice. It just rusted out. <laughs> well, the laser was, uh, the Dodge Shelby was a little bit, a second or two faster than that, that uh, laser was. Yeah, you got the extra Shelby tweaks, right? Yeah. <laughs> now let me ask this this how did it feel owning a shelby when you remember when shelby was over there doing everything with ford did it seem kind of strange not really because uh we had the uh the, the man from uh he came over from ford and uh, I think he brought a lot of his stuff with him. Mm. Uh, mm. I can't think of his name right now. Uh, uh, I, I Coca. Yeah, Lee Iacocca. Yeah. Yep, yep. So what did, did you, I know one, but I'll see if you say it. What was your favorite race in the Shelby? Well, I raced uh, a vet. Mm. Uh, up there on Grand River, when I was in Detroit, I, I raced the vet, and uh, that was the most, I guess that was the favorite I've ever had, because that guy couldn't beat me, <laughs> no kind of way. <laughs> uh, I was too fast for him. <laughs> You know, I think that's probably why Chevy started putting, you know, uh, they, they started because I think for a while in the 70s and 80s, the vet was not even as fast as everything else. And then I think Chevy had to go back and really put a big difference between the vet and the Camaro because they was getting beat by all the other cars by then. Yeah. <laughs> and yet you paying all that money for a vet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, let me ask this. Is it true? Because I heard it in a rumor mill somewhere. So you tell me if it's true or not. I heard you once lost a drag race at the drag strip because when the Christmas tree dropped, you were messing with your radio <laughs> when when the light went green. Is that true? I I don't remember. <laughs> I, to be truthful, I don't remember. But uh, I lost a, a few at the drag strip. Uh, most of them was with that 340 uh, uh, Duster. Mm. Uh, was, uh, not, not the 340 Duster, the 340 uh, uh, Dart. Mm -hmm. Because it, was, it wouldn't run when it got hot. Mm. Uh, I think they call it copper either icing or something. I don't know what they call it, uh, but uh, it wouldn't run when you got up 
you know, torqued it up and got up in high speed, mm -hmm. it uh, would go out. All right, that makes sense. That makes sense. It sounds, it's funny. It's like y'all had the same problems that, you know, I know Buick with the Grand National, that was a big problem they had with their uh, V6 Turbo. You know, everybody knew when I was a kid in the 80s, late 80s, if you're gonna race one, you don't want to be the first one to race it. You wait till they race like two or three Mustangs and that turbo get hot, then yeah. you can beat them. <laughs> yeah. Then you can get them. <laughs> oh man. All right. That that's that's good. You know, I, I especially with your Chrysler years, um, going back down memory lane on the cars you've had, that's something I always like to talk about. So actually what what did you work on primarily at Chrysler? Did you have a particular specialty anywhere on the line? What did you actually do there? But I I was a piston repairman most really? of the time. Okay. I repaired pistons. Uh, and uh, 383, 440. Then I went to the uh, 2.2. .2, and I think... Uh, this another one came out just before I left, but that was the only, uh, most of the, my mine was uh, sixes and V8. Okay. Well, let me ask you this. And how do you, and you may not even care, but how do you feel now when you look at knowing what Mopar, Chrysler, Dodge, Plymouth, I mean, how significant those names are, and then they end up being owned by Fiat, and now they're called Stellantis. I mean, does that does that seem weird to you at all? Do you have any opinion on that at all? Does it irk you? Is it like, hey, change happens? I mean, how, what do you think about it? Well, I just put it as change happens because it don't. Uh, I don't feel no certain way now as i did back uh, i say with in the 60s and 70s and 80s i had a strong feeling uh, about Chrysler cars then but now i don't care <laughs> did you ever own any other especially new did you ever buy any other new car by any other company no no wow, wow. what i felt and i I kept the company felt that uh, if you don't buy what you build, then you don't look for nobody else to buy mm. your product. Mm. And so, if you can't own it yourself, what you, you know, if you work there and buy buying a General Motors product or a Ford product. That's saying something about you, mm. too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you don't buy what you build, so uh, how you expect somebody else to buy what you, uh, to buy the same product? Yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Wow. Well, hey, I'm sure they are appreciative for you spending 30 years of your life there, um, because I mean, those were the glory years. I, I mean, right now in my office, I'm looking at at an orange. Uh, 68 Charger, or it's actually it's a 69 uh, model car that I bought. And, you know, it's that legacy. I'm looking at, actually, I have a Mopar hat uh, sitting right here on my desk as well. Even oh, yeah. though 
always been a forward guy leaning toward forward that those years of Mopar, man, those were the best. Yep. Absolutely. And I was proud to be a Mopar owner at the time. Mm. Now, mm. When I, <laughs> now I don't care uh, what I'm trying to say is because uh, uh, being at 74 uh, years old, I don't care. But uh, then I was, uh, like I'm saying, I've had a stroke, so it, it's hard for me to, 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 to come up with words sometimes. Yeah. So. No worries, no worries at all. Yes, yeah, just what you you certainly doing well now. So this is great. <laughs> this is great. So don't worry about it at all. But it is you know you actually made me think of a, a question to change directions here a little bit. You know now at seventy four, you look back at the things you used to care about that now you can look back and say, eh, it really wasn't that deep. Are there any other things in your life that you look back at and you say? You know, at the time it seemed to be oh so important, but now at 74, looking back, that really wasn't the most important thing. Any any other things like that that come to mind? No more than than women. <laughs> <laughs> well, I told you we we talk we, we we talk all about manhood here, so that's that's fine. Uh, Feel free, elaborate. Tell me more. <laughs> uh, see, because I. I didn't intend to get married. Uh, I was going to live my life uh, and not get married. And uh, but things change, and so. But I'll just say this: I'll never again get married as mm. long as I live. Mm. Why is that? Because of the heartaches, heartaches, and uh, trouble I've had in my life, so I don't need no more heartaches, mm. no troubles. Yeah, yeah. What age did you get married? I think I was. It, it was in my. It was in my thirties. Uh, I'm not sure. Mm. Because uh, what I'm trying to say is a lot of that. Because uh, I had the stroke at uh, in '94, it's a lot of the memories that I don't even remember nothing about now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then certain uh, things that from old memories that I can bring up. Uh, think about but uh you could tell me something now right today mm -hmm. and 15 minutes later I, i've forgotten all about it okay okay and then it's certain things that stick i don't know what's called cause it now i know a man uh, next door i have yet He told me his name over and over, mm -hmm. but I've yet 
to remember his name. Mm-hmm. Because I guess he's been nice to me. Mm-hmm. And that's something that don't stick out to me. You know what I'm trying to say, the niceness. Yeah. If he had or did something to me otherwise, then <laughs> I <laughs> remember the thing. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, well, and okay, so that makes me me go back growing up in Alabama. And obviously we'd be looking at a 74. We're talking the late 40s, early 50s. What was life like for you? You know, I've been in in Wetumpka, Alabama. Um, what was life like for you growing up? Were people generally nice to you? Um, do you look back at you know what you can remember with your childhood of it being a fun time, or did you leave at you know seventeen because you wanted to hurry up and get out of there? <laughs> you know what was? How did people treat you as a young man? What was life like as a young man? Story. If you have that black man in your life and you want his story to be out here, just email me at blackprospector at gmail.com. And of course, like and subscribe to the podcast as well.